Let's pray. God, we're thankful to gather together with saints from around the world to worship you, and as many churches do, to have a, a Sunday school or a time of teaching apart from the worship service that we may know you more fully. This time is meant to subsidize what fathers teach in their own homes to their own families. May we remember and apply these truths to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last Sunday, we started to study the, uh, the Westminster Standards, as they're called. And they are comprised, this is review, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and then the larger catechism and the shorter catechism. And there's much overlap, and we discussed why the purposes for each of those, and I even said that others have gone on to do a Westminster children's catechisms. For example, each of you probably grew up with your mom or grandpa saying to you, if you grew up in a Christian home, um, if Trinity was paying attention, I would say, Trinity, who made you? And she would say, God made me, right? And then we would say, what else did God make? All things, that's right, Trinity, exactly right. And so we start with catechism, teaching and training our children at young ages. And so um, I emphasize we did all three last Sunday and we'll do all three again today, but uh, what is the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism? What is the chief end of man? And it is to? I'm post mill, I can wait all day. What's the answer? What's the chief end of man? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Quinn, you want to finish the rest of it? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a paraphrase, but that, that gets, the, gets the point. So the other catechisms don't start with that as a preamble. They start with Holy Scripture because that's how we get to know God, right? So it was two Sundays ago. Last Sunday, ooh. That's really loud. Uh, last Sunday was um, scripture, and then this Sunday it is to understand who God is. If we are to enjoy God and enjoy him forever, who is God that we may enjoy him, and how do we enjoy him forever? So every Lord's Day we gather together, and the opening comment of anybody who's leading the order of worship says what? It's in the bulletin. Stand and worship in the name of our triune God, right? God the Father, Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. So we want to understand who is God today and to understand, once we understand him, how we can enjoy him forever, and reflect his glory. I discussed a couple Sundays ago, and I'll say it again. I think it's, Paul says good things are worth repeating, and so I think it's a good thing, so I'll repeat it. When I was a child, I didn't understand glory because I was an athlete, and I saw, and you can turn on the TV and watch a basketball player or whatever. He makes a three or he makes a good play or whatever, and it's like, come on, come on. Right? But that's not what God is. It's not like he's wanting 
that glory, right? He's like an artist um, that makes a beautiful painting that reflects who he is. And we can revel in who God is because he has created us in his image. So we are, it's an analogy, but we bear his image. But we don't bear 100% of his image, right? We bear a part of his image because we're not infinite, right? He makes us infinite that we'll be able to enjoy him in heaven forever. We're not, we're not omniscient, right? We don't have those attributes of God that are for him alone, but yet we do bear his image. So when we understand God as a triune God, how does that affect our lives? What's the opposite of a triune God? A deism, right? What's deism? What major religions are deists? You're right, what you're thinking. Judaism, Muslims, right? Muslims would be considered a Trinitarian heresy, yes? Hindu would not be deists. They would be polytheists. So, but that's, that, that's thinking, right, of other different religions and things. So what is the definition of a deist? They're non-Trinitarian. They believe there's a God, right? But that he's not a triune God. And there's certain heresies, even when you believe and there's a triune God that we'll get to in a little bit. But if you believe there's one God, you're a deist. A polytheist, what does a poly mean? You Greek students, yes. Many, that's right. We all know that, this was a joke, because we live in Minnesota, right? And we have a lot of mosquitoes, lots of mosquitoes. And if you work in politics, you know that there's poly many ticks. That was a joke for Jeff who works at the Capitol. Many bloodsuckers. Um, so polytheism is worship, you think that there's many gods. Oftentimes when I'm um, trying to disciple or carry out the Great Commission with people that I call nominal Christians or they're baptized or they threw a pine cone in the fire at, at their Baptist camp and made a decision for Christ and, or whatever, whatever I can pick them up on um, and they're living an unfaithful life, I'll, I'll say, well, how do you decide what is true? Well, you know, I got to take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and I got to decide, you know, what really is right and what really is wrong. And I said, so that's how you, you teach your kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, you got you to gotta really make good decisions on what's truth. And I said, so you're God. Oh, no, 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 I know there's a God, but it's not me. But it, it's, I just have to decide all that. Right, you're at, the, you're at the top end of everything. You're being God. Most of the time they don't get it, but every once in a while they say, oh, I guess you're right. That, that does me make the highest decision maker. I'm deciding truth from all the different, different truths. But we believe in the triune God, and we reflect his glory when we're most obedient to him. So in our everyday life, the question still stands. We believe in the triune God. How does that affect our lives differently than a deist or a polytheist? It should reflect our lives differently, right? That is, if you take the doctrine of the Trinity out, totally out of this, we worship in the name of God. How every day does it change our lives and how we live? Yes, Jeremiah. When you have a Trinitarian God, there is love shared between the members of the Godhead. When you have a single uh, 
Yeah, it's me. Me. Look at me. Look at me. I just made, do you see what I did? But, but that's not the triune God. That's exactly right. And so when we think, what is the chief, chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? We can't misunderstand what that word glory means and why God wants that glory. Because it's not about him. It's a mutual sharing. So to speed up and come back, um, all sorts of analogies. And whenever you use analogies with uh, the Trinity, they're almost always heresy. So you got to be really careful. You know, it's not like the egg, right? So what's the egg? Well, you have the shell, you have the yolk, well, with the white and the yellow. I'll just say the white, the yellow, and the shell, right? But it's all an egg, right? It's like water. You have ice, you have steam, you have water, right? What heresy is that? Modalism. That's right. What's, what's the other common heresy? Monarchism. Monarch think king, right? That there's one that is the greater than the other two. But they're not greater than the other, the other two. They're all equal. What's the creed we say twice a year that goes through this pedagogically? Yes. Athanasian Creed, right, Athanasian Creed. Because once upon a time in church history, people poured through this and wanted to understand it. Like for example, uh, uh, Dan Collins will give you a thousand big candy bars if you can tell me where Trinity is mentioned in the Bible. Who knows the verse? Yes, thousand candy bars, where's the verse where Trinity is in the Bible? It is not there. Trinity is not in the Bible. We see Trinity throughout the whole Bible, but the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, right? Perichresis isn't written in the Bible. Perichresis is that word, fancy Greek word that talks about the mutual indwelling of equal parts. Um, we see Trinity throughout the Bible. Where's the first hint of Trinity in the Bible? Genesis 1, right? It's not, yes? Yeah, us. Let, that's right, Genesis 1. But the word Trinity is not there, but let us. Other examples where we see all three in the Bible? Jesus' baptism of Jesus. Yep, yep, that's right. So there's, there's plenty of times where we see the Trinity. But how does it affect our lives? Jeremiah gave the answer, right? It's a shared love. It's a mutual sharing. And God pours out his generosity to us, so we should live a life that's consistent with bearing that image. But if you were to go today and ask the average Joe in the street, which, which religion has the best family values, that they, they care about people, they live good lives, it'd probably be the Mormons. But the Mormons are a Trinitarian heresy, right? Trinitarian heresy. And Christians, we need to play that out, and then we reflect God's glory. So how do we reflect God's glory, and how can we be known by a different reputation than oftentimes we are today? God... Again, Trinitarian heresies. God is the destination, right? He's the destination. Jesus is the car that takes us to that destination. And who's the engine? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That's right. So that's one way of looking at it. God does all the planning. Jesus is 100% obedient to the Father. 100% obedient. Who gets all the glory? God gives all the glory to Jesus. Right? And then what does Jesus do with all that glory? 
gives it back to the Father. Gives it back to the Father. So if you think that submission is like subservient, do you think that it, or, it is subservient? Do you, it, it depends on how you define the definition. If you think submission is less than equal, that's wrong. It's not less than equal. Jesus, oh, just a second, Jesus is 100% submissive to the Father. And God gives him the glory, and Jesus gives it back to the Father. Do you think there's arguing in the Godhead, in the Trinity? Do they set up in the heavens equally, giving each other? Is there arguing, going back and forth? Are our families, do we have arguing, right? Do children argue with back with parents? Do wives and husbands argue? Do, do parishioners, do peers, do we, do we argue? Yeah, so that's not a ref good reflection of the Trinity. Yes, I'm ready for your question. Right, it's the concept, it's not the word. So I was being funny with the thousand candy bars. The word Trinity is not there, but the concept is throughout, throughout the Bible. But that's right, Ephesians would be another example of that. So did Jesus, this is an, a very important point, did Jesus trust the Father? Yeah, right, he trusted the Father because he obeyed the Father. Did he always want to obey the Father? When can you think of a time where Jesus did not want to obey the Father? Loudly. Who else? Well, yeah, he always obeyed the Father, but there was a time where he really didn't want to obey the Father. And it was the worst day in the world, and it was the best day in the world. Yes? Right, right, before he was crucified. God, take this cup from me, if you can, right? And he, he went boldly, you know? But yet, at the end of the day, you know, is there any other way, God? Nope, no other way. And he, he, he went obediently. So why do we sin? Why do we not obey God 100% of the time? It's an easy one, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be patient and get this. Why do we sin? Why do we not obey why do we not obey our parents? Why do we not obey authorities? Why do we not obey God? Yes. Because of the fall in the garden. That's right. Yep. Why did the people fall in the garden? Yes. Because of the serpent. Yep. The serpent. They didn't, they didn't sin because of the serpent. The serpent was the trial or the test. Why do we disobey? Why do we sin? Because for that second, we don't trust God. We don't trust God. So simple as that. Did God really say? Well, I don't know if he really said. Does he really love me? Does he really have my best out looking out for me? You know, but what did Jesus do, the second Adam? He fully trusted God. So after asking God, is there basically any other way, what did he do? He went to the cross. And every time... We're faced with temptations, trials, difficult situations, right? When we disobey or we try to come up with another way and it's supposed to trust in God, what are we really saying? We don't trust in God. We don't trust in God. But as the last song we just sang, great song, thanks, Canaan, for mentioning it in Jeremiah last night, 
Guys, if you don't get to the men's psalm sing, get to the men's psalm sing. It's the fellowship is just sweet fellowship of singing and some of us leave right after the psalm sing and others stay and have fellowship until midnight, but it is sweet. I'll never know what happens after a certain time, but I hear they have a wonderful time. We don't trust in God when we sin. The, the Godhead, the Trinity, always trusts in each other, always trusts in each other. And we are created in that image. And at the garden, when Adam sinned, this is rudimentary theology, I know, at the garden, when, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And we testify to that every day in our lives. We would be the, do the exact same thing as Adam. Because when we sin, we say, well, did God really say? I think there's another way. When we, even when we try to cover up our sin, either cover up righteously by confessing it, acknowledging it, repenting from it, paying restitution, doing everything the Bible says, or we cover up our sin unrighteously. What does that mean? We hide ourselves from God. We hide ourselves. We try to cover up something unrighteously. So when Adam sinned in the garden, we became very marred, unrecognizable image bearers of God. But yet we're still called to bear God's image. So, started off to glorify God, we have to know him because we want to bear his image well. And the process of bearing his image increasingly better over the course of our lives is called sanctification. Even though we sin and we constantly sin, we must learn to pick those weeds out of our garden and not just pick them up at the top, but try to get to the root. We deny the lusts of the flesh and we want to be image bearers, so we're working on sanctifying. Sanctifying is weeding, mortifying the sins of your life, teaching yourself, disciplining yourself to trust God more fully. The more you trust God, the less you'll sin. But also, the more you trust God, the more you'll see your sin. The wisest, godliest people I know that have led wonderful lives, faithful lives, they're more aware of their sin when they're 80 than they ever were when they were 13 or 40 or 43 or 73. So, God made us. God made all things. He made all things good. Now let's look at the Trinity. How would you describe God the Father? Is he human? He's a spirit. I said he's a spirit. Who is the spirit? The Holy Spirit, or sometimes we say the Holy Ghost. God the Father is a spirit. But sometimes we give him words that describe like he has a human body. One of my favorite is, God has a strong right arm. Wouldn't you want to have a God with a strong right arm? I do. That gives me, I remember hearing that the first time I was a little boy, and oh yeah, I want a strong God. Why would you want to worship a weak God? Well, God not in control. I wanted a strong God. What are some other words that are human words to this guy? The eyes of God are on the world, right? Looking around. So does God have a strong right arm? Does God have eyes? No. What's the fancy word that describes all that? All right, anthropomorphism. I wrote it down. My, my tongue twisting sometimes gets the best of me. Um, right, and when we say that, um, that we bear God's image, that's kind of an analogy. We do, but we don't bear all of God's characteristics. We bear some of them. So what are the some as we grow in sanctification that we can ref we, we, bear, we bear his image? That is, they're true in God, they're true in us, 
but it's a bad image, but we're trying to be sanctified to a good image. We can never be omniscient, omnipresent. We can't be those characteristics. But what are the characteristics that we want to have? Right? We pray for wisdom. We pray for strength. We pray for all these things. And God has those. And we have, we can have those. So in the Trinity, then we talked about modalism, right? Three kind of separate persons, all kind of working together, all God. But no, there's a mutual indwelling and a mutual love that's shared as opposed to if you're a Muslim God, uh, a deist, in the Muslim world, you might makes right. You know, we, we want to conquer the world through water, bread, wine, the word, and the Muslims want to do it by the sword. Might makes right. And ultimately, might does make right. God's might, but God doesn't work his way through history. Leaven isn't by taking over and commanding. Leaven works its way slowly. So when a husband is husbanding his wife, when parents are parenting children, when elders are shepherding a flock, we want to reflect, bear the image of how our Heavenly Father works with us. Not be like deists. So there are these Trinitarian heresies. Unitarians, by definition, means what? One, right? So it reflects in how they live. We know from Scripture that we become like the gods we worship, right? So if we worship the Trini Trinity God, we should be reflecting that. So when somebody puts that thought experiment out to you, it, um, and Jeff did it to a men's book book study a long time ago, if you take the doctrine of the Trinity out of our lives, how would we be different then? Right? And it's an important question to ask because we are not Unitarian. We're not polytheists. We're not deists. We are Trinitarian. And it should be reflected in how we live our lives and it should look like the Godhead. Another, another um, Important point, you guys know what Matthew 28 is, right? What's at the end of Matthew 28? The Great Commission. And we got to keep this in mind because God tells us what we should be doing. And I'm going to just go slow and read that to everybody. Every time I press it, it always goes one up. I got to fix my touching. So I, I pressed it and it was tw 23. All right, the Great Commission. I'll start with verse 16. Now the 11 disciples, why were there 11 children, disciples at this point? Went to Galilee, because Judas had betrayed, right? Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, so when you have doubt, what do you need? Assurance. Right? When you doubt, do we doubt sometimes? Do we doubt, trust, and obey, right? Great song. One of the Sandal kids want to sing it all the time. I'd sing it every day. It's the first song I ever learned how to play on the piano. Trust and obey. Because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. That summarizes the Westminster, right? So, and I used to say happy, and Jeff, Jeff used to say there's no happiness in the Bible. It's joy. But we get, we get the point. Um, so, you need to be reassured when you doubt. And so when you're going through a trial, the best thing a Christian can do 
is to reassure, be, care, be faithful. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you and has made a wonderful plan for your life. Might include hardships, but he really has made a wonderful plan for your life. Believe it. Don't doubt. And so if he gives assurance, the next thing that Jesus says is all authority. And whenever you hear the word all, what does all mean? All means all. All. All authority on earth has been given to me. Is that what the text says? No. All, all authority on, in heaven and on earth. In heaven and on earth. Everything. Everything. We sometimes think that, I usually give it the other way, all authority in heaven has been given to me because that's what a lot of people um, live their life functionally. Jesus really isn't in control of the earth. You know, in heaven, he's sitting at the right hand of God. He's kind of in control of heaven. But sometimes we think it's just earth, but he's in control of heaven and earth. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Right? And so these people are doubting. And then what's the next thing Jesus says? After all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, what's the next thing? Yes, loudly. That's right. We don't need to doubt. We can trust and obey because God has, a, God has the authority. Then go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So how can we live our lives being good image bearers of God? How did Jesus be 100% submissive to the Father, trust and obey in everything, where Adam didn't, where we don't? How do we go and live our lives? We live our lives because God's given us the authority. He's given it to us. And we're under his authority, but where we go out and do, we bear that authority that God's given to us, if we bear his image well, because we trust and obey. And our job is to baptize, to make disciples of all nations, and he even tells us the order on how to do it. All nations, all means all, right? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There you go. That's the closest you can get to the Trinity in the Bible, but the word's not there, right? And that's why, it was a side tangent, but you know, sometimes somebody will come and talk to the elders and they want to join the church or whatever, and, and uh, they, weren't, they, were, they, they were Mormons, and they were baptized in the Mormon church. Do we accept that baptism? No, why not? Wasn't in the Trinity. That's exactly right. Yep, so it's important when we're getting to know somebody, we want to know where they were baptized. What if they were baptized by, uh, um, this is probably too far-fetched, but I brought it up, so I'll do it, by a woman pastor at an, at an ELCA church, but they were baptized in the name of the Trinity. Some people could differ with it, but we would accept the baptism because we would say it wasn't the, that the woman did it, it was what God did at that baptism, that the emphasis is on God, Right? Um, so anyway, we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then what do we do? Then we teach them to observe, what's that next word that I always say, what does it mean? All means all, to observe all that I have commanded you. And observe means to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, what's the most assuring thing that you can say? I am with you always to the end of the age. And who is with us? <coughs> I had to understand this as a little child, too. I am with you to the end of the age. Well, Jesus is talking, so I go, how's Jesus with us? He's at the right hand of God. I don't understand it. But he said he would give us 
but greater when he left. Who's, who, who's that that is with us now to the end of the age? The Holy Spirit. And what's, what job is there? What jobs, when I say job, but what job or jobs does the Holy Spirit have in our lives every day? Sanctify us, right? Recalling the word to us. We read the scriptures. He recalls the word to us, right? So when someone says, that God told me that, about, that I should do this, you can say, oh, where does it say that in the Bible? Right? Otherwise, it's just your will. It might be a good will, you know. But the Holy Spirit recalls scripture to us, right? And that's to sanctify us, reminds us of the promises of God. So when we pray, as we're bear, image bearers of God, that's why we sing the Psalms. We sing God's words after him. That's why we read the Bible, because we want to understand, we want to take delight in the law of the Lord. Psalms 119, right? Why do we want to do these things? Because we want to reflect God's image better. And when we reflect God's image better, when we trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, then we really do give God glory, and we are really happier people, even when we go through trials and difficult situations. But every time we disobey, I mean, children, you guys know this instinctively. Husbands and wives, you know this, right? If you're battling, is life more peaceable and enjoyable, or is it more difficult and miserable? Right? No, it's more difficult and miserable. When everybody's on the same page, if you will, and that means to be God's page, right? God's obedient. Life is much more blessed, much more blessed. Because you've got to say, does the Godhead argue? No, they don't. So then we looked at uh, modalism, monarch, monarchism, um, and there's all sorts of passages that I could quote if we had time to go through that. We don't want to do Trinitarian heresy. We're under the ultimate authority. That's why we can go boldly. That's why we can have confidence as we obey the Great Commission, as we're submissive to the Father. So um, there's a saying that we give to young men, and I don't know who came up with it. I can blame Doug because he comes up with a lot of these things. But authority flows to those who take responsibility, right? Where's that in the Bible? Don't see it, but it's throughout the whole Bible, right? Death and resurrection, a series of mortifying yourself, mortifying your sin, being raised up to greater authority. Canaan was saying this the other day to me, and just so prescient. When you go through great suffering, you tend to have more power and authority. There's a certain authority that God gives you when you've suffered through things. Um, and we suffer when we put, when, when we mortify our, our, our selfish ambitions, right? When we mortify our lusts of the flesh and we trust and obey more. When we say, I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to obey. And, and because if I didn't obey, that means I'm not trusting God, but I'm a Christian, I want to trust God, right? Every day we got to be thinking of that. I'm going to do the right thing. So 100% obey, 100% trust. 99% obey, 0% trust, right? For that second, we don't have trust in God. We really don't think God loves us. We think that somehow he treats us, his created being, that he gave us his image, right? That we can't trust him anymore. We can, when we read the scriptures, we see stories in the Bible, just to emphasize this point, Joseph is another really good one, how a bunch of series of death and resurrection, but always trusting in God, 
Not that he was a perfect man, but um, some people want to make him out to be a, um, a creature who was one of these guys wearing the colored robes and all that, but those robes were rolled like a uniform, like a policeman wears a uniform. Those are the uniform that people wore in the day um, that were in charge. And we make him out to be a bad guy, and then he had to be humbled. But Joseph, uh, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible is pretty clear that he was faithful his, his whole career. And um, that's what I, I tell young men and you guys, is you're faithful in your career, you're either going to rule the world or you're going to be fired. Fired or died, right? We've got to be faithful with whatever God puts in front of us. Our duty to God is to always to obey, just like Jesus always obeys. Um, we bear his image, and we need to work on bearing his image well. And so when you read the catechisms, it talks about, um, well, uh, uh, I'll go through, well, I won't go through. It goes through and talks about God being a spirit. It talks about the Trinity, invisible, without body parts. Um, when you read the catechisms, and fathers, you must catechize your children, not so much that they have to understand and memorize all, all the different catechisms. They must know the truths. And these are all secondary standards to Scripture and Scripture alone, but they're really, really helpful for understanding and teaching. So some people can pray through um, devotionally through the catechisms, and I, I'm not trying to elevate them. I'm always going to put them down below Scriptures, but they're really good to bring out important theological truths. So again, then I'll take some questions, but you got to know God to enjoy him. We worship the God of the Trinity, and you find out who God is by studying the scriptures. That was last week. And then next week, we are going to look at um, God's eternal decrees. What does God require of man? With that said, let's take some questions before we... Um, before we close in prayer. I never get through all my notes. I ramble too much, probably. Any questions? Trinity is hard. Trinity is hard. And we understand the Trinity more and more by reading the scripture and understanding how they work together. Angels are a spirit, too. We didn't talk about that, but they're not the spirit. They are a spirit, but they don't bear the image of God. Someday we're going to judge angels. Think about that one. Any questions? Otherwise, you can always see me afterward. I used to be afraid to ask questions when I was younger because I thought it would be a stupid question. Um, but you can always see me later. Um, no stupid questions. We, these are hard to understand. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for the time we have together. Uh, you've given us all we need in Scripture to understand you and to be sanctified for the rest of our lives. Help us as a congregation to have the aroma of Christ. And by that, we mean that he was 100% obedient, and he is only 100% obedient because he trusted you in very difficult times. But he trusted you at all times. And he was the ultimate image bearer of you. Help us to grow in trust and obedience as we mature in our faith and are sanctified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.